Button, button. Who's got the button? I do, Spike. I have the button. Call me. We're here today to talk about Same Time, Same Place, the third episode of Season 7. It aired on October 8, 2002, and was written by Jane Espenson, with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as Executive Story Editor, and Drew Z. Greenberg as Story Editor. This episode was directed by James A. Contner, who we last saw directing the Season 6 finale, Grave. We last saw Espenson's work in Double Meat Palace, and this is the first of six episodes that she will write during this final season of Buffy. And looking at the list, Espenson did some of her best work in season seven. And considering that we're talking about Jane Espenson here, that is very high praise indeed. This list includes Storyteller, one of my favorite episodes in all of Buffy. And man, I can't wait. After last week's somewhat disappointing Beneath You, we're back into Season 7 as I know and love it with Same Time, Same Place. This episode continues what we started in Lessons, setting up Season 7 as not your father's Oldsmobile. Does anyone else remember that commercial? Anyone? Just me? God damn, I'm old. Anyway, we're doing something different in Season 7, and we're doing it with confidence and intent. There are a lot of things in Same Time, Same Place that are highly disturbing. And I have to say, I don't enjoy those elements because they're creepy AF. But that doesn't make them bad. As a matter of fact, this is one of the most truly creepy and scary monsters of the week we've seen in all of Buffy, and one of the best demons we've ever developed. Gnarl is almost Gollum-like in his movement and affect, and the execution of this monster in both the writing and the visual effects is damn near perfect. I don't enjoy it, but I kind of love it. It's great work, and for those of you who like the horror aspect of the show, I'd love to hear what you think about it. Chipperish.com slash forum. All right, let's get into the weeds. In same time, same place, Willow returns from England, and Buffy, Xander, and Dawn go to the airport to pick her up. But Willow and her friends can't see each other. Everyone's off the plane, so where's Willow? A skin-eating demon crawls out of the hellmouth and starts flaying victims, cholesterol be damned. Spike's still insane in the school basement, but becomes useful when the Scoobies need to track traces of blood. I'm insane. What's his excuse? Anya helps Willow with a magic spell to try to find the flaying demon. It did get a little sexy, didn't it? In the demon's cave, Willow still can't see Buffy, Dawn, or Xander. And when the demon paralyzes Dawn, they unintentionally leave Willow behind. Friends left you here. No one comes to save you. Finally, Buffy, Xander, and Anya leave Dawn behind to head back to the cave and kill the demon. And there, they finally see Willow again. Back at home, Buffy lends Willow her strength to help her heal and the gang is back together again. She kind of didn't finish. She didn't finish. She didn't finish being not evil. When you take out the monster of the week element in same time, same place, there's this longing and sadness that runs through it that kills me every time. The nervousness of our Scoobies as they're there to pick her up at the airport and the sadness of Willow when she gets off the plane to discover that they're not there. It's so heartbreaking. The metaphor this week isn't in the monster. The monster is just pure creep factor. The metaphor speaks to what it is to love and to be loved, to forgive and to be forgiven. 
There is this element of uncomplicated grace when Buffy, Dawn, and Xander show up at the airport. Willow did a lot of bad things. She killed people. She hurt all of her friends deeply. And there they are, without question. Xander's sign with the yellow crayon shows that he's not there reluctantly. Forgiveness isn't a debate for him. It's Willow, and he loves her in a way that makes his forgiveness automatic. Buffy's nervous, but not withholding. She's ready to forgive as well. Out of the three of them, Dawn has perhaps the greatest reservation, but even she is there, ready to welcome Willow back with cautious but loving open arms. The problem here is Willow. She has not forgiven herself, and therefore isn't ready to accept their forgiveness, and this results in these people who love each other not being able to see each other through the recent trauma they've all endured. Metaphorically, it works beautifully. And despite the fact that we are absolutely doing something different in season seven, we're revisiting powerful emotional metaphor in the way we had it in early Buffy. It's a brilliant representation of the basic conflict at play here. And it breaks my heart every time. One thing that doesn't particularly work for me though, is this idea that just because someone got flayed, it must be Willow. Yes, I know, Willow has skinned before, but that was a very specific circumstance of vengeance. Although she threatened Dawn, she didn't actually try to kill Dawn. She fought with Buffy and Giles, but they were strong and could fight back. She had the opportunity to kill Anya, and she did knock Anya out, but seeing as Anya was doing pretty okay when everything was going down in Grave, Willow didn't seem to hurt her very much at all. At the end of the episode, we get this nice moment with Willow and Buffy, when Buffy says she doesn't want to be the kind of person who would think that Willow would do that. And Willow very wisely says that Buffy has to think those things. She's the slayer. It's the job. And honestly, it's a very minor complaint with this story. What we have in this story of the mutual no is that Buffy, Dawn, and Xander are living in a separate reality from Willow. In Willow's reality, it is possible that her friends would not forgive her, that they wouldn't want her back. In Buffy, Xander, and Dawn's reality, it is possible that Willow could go all black-eyed evil again and flay a human just for the fun. And this is where the metaphor serves on an even deeper layer. The idea of conflicting realities in which people just can't understand each other. The people who are less invested, Spike and Anya, live in the bridge between the realities. And the actual reality that Buffy, Xander, and Dawn would of course forgive Willow and would want her back, and that Willow wouldn't flay a man just for kicks, is where we end up. Look, when the work is this good, all you have to pick at are the nits, and there aren't very many in this episode, which means this might be a shorter episode of Still Pretty, but hey, it's summer. You guys have barbecues and stuff to go to, right? But if one of them is being hosted by a demon named Narl, maybe skip that one. I love a gift. Can't wait to unwrap it. Look, y'all know me. I don't like monsters, and I don't like horror. It is not my cup of tea. It is not my jam. It is not my cranberry scone. Sorry, got caught up in the food metaphor thing there. Been watching a lot of Great British Baking Show. But Gnarl, as gross and horrifying as he is, is probably one of the best Buffy creepsters ever to creep. We first see him without really seeing him, which speaks beautifully to what we're doing with the rest of the story. And I'm telling you, keep your monsters in the shadows, y'all. All we see and hear at first are the claws clacking together. And the sing-song voice is so human. On Buffy, we often get these weirdly muffled voices because of all the latex. But here, the actor is able to play up the creepiness, and it works beautifully. 
While the shadows work really well for any monster, when we finally do get to see Gnarl, he doesn't disappoint. He's no reptile boy, this one. He's green and creepy with extruding rib bones and sharp claw nails that work like little scalpels. His sing-song voice is high-pitched and falsely innocent, which only adds to the creepiness factor when he starts feeding on Willow in a way which, all right, I'm gonna say it, but it's super gross. It's almost sexual in nature. <sighs> Even the fight scene is pretty good. It's not overdone, mostly in the background while we focus on other things. The weird, very latexy foot stab aside, the fight scene works, and the actor playing Gnarl has the thankless task of having to fight against an invisible Buffy for a bit, and he manages to make it work in a way that previous Invisa fights haven't been terribly successful. The actor, by the way, is Camden Toy, who played one of the gentlemen, and will also come back later in this season as a monster we'll talk about when he shows up. Even down to the way he dies, thumbs in the eyeballs, ugh. Gnarl is a new brand of Buffy demon, and he's beautifully executed in every way. Except maybe the actual execution. Ugh. Something horrible killed a boy, took his skin right off. Was, Was it, it you? you? No! The main elements of Same Time, Same Place, the lovely metaphor of Willow's accidental spell and the creepiness of Gnarl, are good enough to give this episode a special place in my heart. But then Espenson goes and does the most amazing work with minor story beats as well. First up on our tour of delights is Anya and Willow. The relationship between these two has been complicated historically, and when they first bump into each other outside of the magic box, it's not all flowers and sunshine. Yeah, I, I want to help any way I can with that. I, I feel really responsible. You feel really responsible? You are really responsible. But then Willow goes to Anya's apartment, and Anya helps her with a spell. And let's not forget, it's Willow's spells that destroyed Anya's workplace. There's a camaraderie between them that's so heartwarming. This isn't going to get all sexy, is it? I'd be shocked. Spike only appears in two scenes, but he's fantastic in both. He plays both versions of one of the scenes, one with Willow and one with Buffy and Xander, and his insanity is a good cover for when everyone sees him talking to someone who is apparently not there. It's a brilliant folding of the central conceit of the episode with the larger season story, and I love how seamlessly it works. Everyone's talking to me. No one's talking to each other. Another element I love is Dawn. With Giles gone, we need a new world-building fairy to explain the demons, and I love that we gave this role to Dawn. Her excitement upon ferreting out Gnarl, how she gets only more enthusiastic the grosser it gets, it's wonderful. I'm a sucker for the work romance, and I'm not talking about workplace romance. I'm talking about the love between a girl and her work, or a man and his work, but I'm talking about a girl right now. I love the way Dawn is both thrilled about her discovery and right. Both Xander and Buffy are pretty sure it's Willow doing the flaying, but Dawn knows her stuff, and she's into it. And we can develop a database of tooth impressions and demon skin samples, and I can wear high heels more often. Wow, that was so close to being empowered. And that's Jane Espenson for you. Look, I don't know Jane well, but I've talked to her a few times, and she has always seemed like the kind of person who loves the work for the work's sake. And that's what makes every line of her dialogue a gem. She doesn't do anything to get it done, I don't think. I think she does it because doing the thing is the fun part. And now she's passed that love of the work on to Dawn, and it is, if you will pardon my saying it again, absolutely delightful. 
All right, that's it for today. I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 7, Episode 4, Help. Until then, enjoy all your barbecues and stay pretty. Still Pretty is a chipperish media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish.